0: Hey friend, it's Chris. Welcome to Ecce Domino, Latin for Behold the Lord. Let's get beholding. Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a wife to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriages. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me but if they can't manage their emotions and desires, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. And if you're married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. For the rest of you who are in mixed marriages, Christian married to non-Christian, we have no explicit command from the master. So this is what you must do. If you're a man with a wife who's not a believer but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. If you're a woman with a husband who's not a believer but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they're included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. You never know, wife. The way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband. The way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but to God. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than on the others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. Were you Jewish at the time God called you? Don't try to remove the evidence. Were you non-Jewish at the time of your call? Don't become a Jew. Being Jewish isn't the point. The really important thing is obeying God's call, following his commandments. Stay where you were when God called your name. Were you a slave? Slavery is no roadblock to obeying and believing. I don't mean you're stuck and can't leave. If you have a chance at freedom, go ahead and take it. I'm simply trying to point out that under your new master, you're going to experience a marvelous freedom you would have never dreamed of. On the other hand, if you were free when Christ called you, you'll experience a delightful enslavement to God you would never have dreamed of. All of you, slave and free both, were once held hostage in a sinful society. Then a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. So please don't, out of old habits, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Friends, stay where you were called to be, God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. The master did not give explicit direction regarding virgins, but as one much experienced of the mercy of the master and loyal to him all the way, you can trust my counsel. Because of the current pressures on us from all sides, I think it would probably be best to stay just as you are. Are you married? Stay married. Are you unmarried? Don't get married. But there's certainly no sin in getting married, whether you're a virgin or not. All I'm saying is that when you marry, you take on additional stress in an already stressful time, and I want to spare you if possible. I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste, so don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple. In marriage, grief, joy, whatever, even the ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on. Deal as sparingly as possible with the things the world thrusts on you. This world, as you see it, is on its way out. I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention the time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of god i'm trying to be helpful and make it as easy as possible for you not make things harder all i want for you to be able to develop all i want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions if a man has a woman friend to whom he is loyal but never intended to marry having decided to serve God as a single and then changes his mind deciding he should marry her, he should go ahead and marry. It's no sin. It's not even a step down from celibacy, as some say. On the other hand, if a man is comfortable in his decision for a single life and service to God, and it's entirely his own conviction and not imposed on him by others, he ought to stick with it. Marriage is spiritually and morally right and not inferior to singleness in any way. Although, as I indicated earlier, because of the times we live in, I do have pastoral reasons for encouraging singleness. A wife must stay with her husband as long as he lives. If he dies, she is free to marry anyone she chooses. She will, of course, want to marry a believer and have the blessing of the master. By now you know that I think she'll be better off staying single. The master, in my opinion, thinks so too. 1 Corinthians 7, the message. My friend is reading a singleness devotional written by a married woman. I'm not trying to suggest that Marriage invalidates the author's experience and wisdom; that she has nothing to say, or that she has no right to say it. It does feel a little inauthentic, though. This is just me thinking aloud. If you're married, we can still be friends. You can still speak into my life, Stacy. You're still goals. One of the strangest arguments of my life. I yelled at my mom because she was praying for my hypothetical spouse. It's not like I've never done it. I've even prayed for Mrs. Maybe I Will with other guys but there's something about being single and past the age of expiration in a culture where marriage is not just the norm, but the expectation. My parents had an arranged marriage. Getting married is easy. They just have to find a match. My parents showed me the picture of a girl I'd never seen before and asked what I thought. I didn't really see why my opinion mattered until they told me she was 26 and had an MBA and lived in Canada, if you catch my drift. I know my parents love me and they worry about me and they want what's best for me. I still get defensive though. I don't think I'm defective. I don't think marriage is a given. My pastor in Gainesville used to say, if you don't see trees when you look at the opposite sex, you're not called to celibacy. I might know a few people who prefer trees, but I get his point. Marriage is good. It's a gift. It's not good for man to be alone, you know? My body knows. Every time I see Ari or Hank or Sage, the reigning cutest kids in the world, there's a part of me that says, I want one. Or maybe it's McKenna and Gavin or Lily or Sophia. I'm not paternal, other than my inchoate dad bod. It's hard to see good, to know it's good, and not want it, though. I do want it. I worry that I won't be up to the task. I know myself, my limitations, my flaws, my sin. It's hard to believe I'll ever be at the point where I'm ready to start, and that even if I get there, that anyone will be waiting for me. My friend Zach is getting married in November, and he told me when Martin Luther, the former monk turned reformer, got married. He wanted to glorify God, spite the devil, and spite the Pope. I don't even think I know who the current Pope is, so it's unlikely he'll get an invite. I wouldn't give the devil the time. You want to hear a fun song? Three Best Days by Kurt Vernon. Glorifying God, though? I want to do that more than anything. I want to become all that he intends. I want to love everyone he's given me appropriately and thoroughly. But here's the thing. Singleness isn't really about marriage. I don't say that out of hopelessness or frustration, though I certainly feel hopelessly frustrated at times. Paul referred to it as a gift. Most singles wish the gift receipt had been included. Let me paraphrase our m- mantra here at Ecce Domino Singleness isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's about God. This life is our internship for heaven. We're prepared to live forever, knowing we could die today. I used to be really bitter about the possibility of dying a virgin, because marriage is all about sex, right? I definitely wish I'd spent my dearly departed 20s differently. But now I'm 30. Yesterday isn't coming back around. But God is here, and life is good for that reason. I'm trying to live in such a way that if I never make it to the altar of matrimony, I'll never leave the altar of obedience. I don't think love is a distraction. I think it's the point. But I'm not currently responsible for a wife or kids. My money, my time, my energy, they're available. Not to spend on myself. I like to think of myself as the terrestrial postal service, delivering God's love every day. My friend Mike is a mailman. He doesn't go all over. He's got a route he follows, people he's assigned to. Same here. It's hard to wait. It's hard to hope. Before we got together, one of my exes said she wanted to date because she felt like she was overflowing with love, that she wanted to invite someone into her life to take care of him. I never understood that because I'm the selfishest person that I know best. I kind of get it now though. I love people. I love laughing with them and eating with them and giving them gifts and reminding them who they are. I don't want to miss them because I have tunnel vision, because I'm pining till I get what I really want in my own way on my own terms. The thing that makes me giddiest is participating in love. I don't mean it's a substitute. Of course I'm lonely. Of course I'm sad. But it's not all I am and it's not the essence of who I am. If I'm not following God in this season, I have no reason to expect I'll miraculously start if he tosses another human into the fray. Sometimes when I worship, I ball my hands into fists instead of raising them. I'm not threatening God. I'm holding on for dear life, because he is life. I had a friend—he's not dead, we've just lost touch—who realized he was attracted to men, but also he loved Jesus. He studied the word and consulted popular authors on the topic, hoping there was some other way. The church that didn't condemn him or exclude him told him quite matter-of-factly that he could remain celibate or he could marry a woman. At that time, he felt like marriage wouldn't be fair to his wife. He was 19 when he told me this. He chose celibacy in cold blood and warm tears. If this man lives to be 79, that's 60 more years of choosing against his flesh again and again. I wondered then if maybe I should join him in solidarity. It's a hard path he's chosen. I didn't want him to be alone because often singleness feels like exile. I spent an unnatural, unhealthy amount of my life wishing and praying to be asexual. I don't like these desires. They make life so complicated and so chaotic. I feel crazy and stupid when I want to be stable and wise. But desire begins with God. We exist because it pleased him to create us. He gave us the capacity to love not only him but one another in a variety of relationships. I know what I want, which is a win even if I never get it. My hopes are not bound to this earth or this life. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this: he will make your righteousness, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 37, 3 to 7a, NIV. My friend pointed out that this isn't a formula for getting what you want. David, the man after God's own heart, is not promising that the pursuit of God will end with us getting what we want. Instead, when we pursue God, we get God. Constant exposure to Him and longing for Him changes our hearts to be less self absorbed and self satisfied. But here's a warning from Don Miller excerpted from A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Growing up in church, we were taught that Jesus was the answer to all our problems. We were taught that there was a circle-shaped hole in our heart and that we had tried to fill it with the square pegs of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but only the circle peg of Jesus could fill our hole. I became a Christian based in part on this promise, but the hole never really went away. To be sure, I like Jesus and I still follow him, but the idea that Jesus will make everything better is a lie. It's a It's basically biblical theology translated into the language of infomercials. The truth is the apostles never really promised Jesus is going to make everything better here on earth. Can you imagine an infomercial with Paul testifying to the amazing product of Jesus, saying that he once had power and authority, and since he tried Jesus, he's been moved from prison to prison, beaten and routinely bitten by snakes? I don't think many people would be buying that product. It's hard to imagine how religion steeped in so much pain and sacrifice turned into a promise for earthly euphoria. You catch that? It's so easy as a single person to envy others' perfect lives, but everyone is broken, and everyone has moments where they're in the valley, in the desert, and in the pit. If you prefer your theology with crumpets, the Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. The world has to scratch and claw for every second of happiness because this is as good as it'll get. We can live in submission and slowness and even silence and suffering, because we know that there's better. Here's Jesus in Luke twenty, twenty seven to forty, from the message paraphrase. Some Sadducees came up. This is the Jewish party that denies any possibility of resurrection. They asked, teacher, Moses wrote that if a man dies and leaves a wife but no child, his brother's obligated to take the widow to wife and get her with child. Well, there were once seven brothers. The first took a wife, he died childless. The second married her and died. Then the third, and eventually all seven had their turn, but no child. After all that, the wife died. That wife now, in the resurrection, whose wife is she? All seven married her. Jesus said, marriage is a major preoccupation here, but not there. Those who are included in the resurrection of the dead will no longer be concerned with marriage, nor, of course, with death. They will have better things to think about if you can believe it. All ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. Even Moses exclaimed about the resurrection of the burning bush, saying, God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God isn't the God of dead men, but of the living. To him, all are alive. Some of the religion scholars said, teacher, that's a great answer. For a while, anyway, no one dared put questions to him. All ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. I have no idea what that means, but I have a hard time believing God is a God of downgrades and disappointments. I'll close with the lyrics of three years by Built To Be Broken. Yeah, I know it's a love song, but I'm a single non-singer, so I'm just going to serenade the God Who Stays. I remember those days when I didn't know you. It felt like I was always wanting more. I will admit that I wasn't looking. I always thought I'd be fine on my own. It's hard to say, but still I'll try to tell you what this feels like. I always want to always be with you and I know that I am slow to learn, slow to listen, slow to turn, but I always want to always be with you. The saddest outcome is not singleness. The saddest outcome is separation from God. You have my blessing and my gratitude if you feel so inclined to pray for future possibilities. But if you're only praying for one thing, pray for your friends and fam who don't know God. If you're only praying for one thing for me, pray for faithfulness, please, not romance. Till next time, friends. Behold the Lord.